Right. We've got to talk about flavoured seltzer water. Oh? We've got to. Sparkly water that flavour, you know, once had a thought about. We've got to. Let me take this fucking thing off my neck. <laughs> we'll get this off first. We're getting on the seltzer bandwagon now. Like, years into the fad, now we're going to talk about flavoured seltzers. Now's the time to take a stand when it's got less support and we can really kick its teeth in, Conrad. <laughs> Look, I'm just saying, I had some the other day. I didn't know it was seltzer on the can, otherwise I wouldn't have got it. Is flavouring them a prank? I, the best way I've ever heard it described is it's the homeopathy of flavour. Yes. It's... I don't even know how it works. You drink it, it tastes of nothing. But then you have the ghost of what it should taste like on your tongue. Yeah. It's haunted by the ghost of the ghost of the ghost yeah. of some flavour. Like, if I, if, if, I were, if I were to be so bold as to draw a parallel that people of a certain age and country would get, it's essentially, let's have a look at what you could have won. <laughs> the drink. If I, if I get an orange-flavoured drink and I drink it and I taste water, but I... It doesn't taste of water. It tastes of not the thing it tastes of. Explicitly. It's an explicit cruelty to it. Trying to divine the flavour of a flavoured, like a lightly flavoured seltzer is, is usually like someone who wants to pretend they're a psychic and is putting their hand to their head being like, oh, oh, I'm reading what's on the other side of that card. I'm definitely gonna get it. Is it this? I'm, not, I'm guessing, maybe. Like, it's pure fucking luck. Yeah. Yeah, as what I assume to be the lone regular consumer of flavored seltzer water currently engaged in this conversation. <laughs> yeah. There is a range. It's not all like that. Some of it's actually pretty good. Uh another podcast that I listen to regularly last year did a running bit called The Year of the Seltzer where one of the hosts attempted to try 500 seltzers. I have greatly expanded my enjoyment of seltzer in recent years. There are two LaCroix flavors that are fucking great, Key Lime and Lemoncello. The thing is, it's like, yeah, I, I get you that there probably are some seltzer brands that actually have some flavor in them, but that doesn't seem to be the norm. No! I don't know how it works. I don't understand how something can taste can taste of not the thing it tastes of. That's a, that's its own flavour. I just struggle to understand who the market is for, like, I wish that I couldn't taste the thing I ostensibly want to taste. I don't understand what that market is. It has to be a kink. It has to be a, like, flavour denial. It has to be oh. a thing. I've been thinking lately about, like, things that would have been in Dante's Inferno had it been written, and, like, things that would have been their own circle of hell had the book been written later. Vegan, like, all vegan food would be in it like here's a vegan royale but you can only have water with it not coke <laughs> like that kind of oh, thing here yeah. here is a pizza but it's got what was it they said fucking squash in it fucking squash pizza this one tastes of burger but it's three quid more i do think there's a process that people go through when they approach seltzer where like 
trying to track down what the right seltzer for you can be challenging, right? And I do have to wonder if part of that process is that you taste so many that are so nothing or so bad that eventually you find one that hits you in the right way and just by comparison is so much better, but is also probably objectively trash. But now you've been conditioned to think that it's not bad because I buy an incredibly cheap lemon seltzer. I've seen a lot of marriages like this. It's called settling. (laughs) (laughs) But I buy this incredibly cheap lemon seltzer and I know it's not good, but I don't want to drink plain water. Now, this is my mother and I have this same problem. Her solution was to drink Coors Light, which is vaguely water also. It's like the seltzer of beer. Yeah. I just, I, I wound up on seltzer. Seltzer's, uh, uh, yeah, I need something with a little bit of flavor. I would, I could do without the carbonation if I'm honest, but, you know, fine. I think the carbonation makes it worse. Sometimes. I think it makes it worse because then I'm like, this is explicitly not pop. That's what it should be called, not pop. It makes it crunchy. Well, like, here's my problem with the carbonation is it's not the carbonation itself. It's the carbonating water leaves it with a taste. Mm-hmm. I feel like if it wasn't carbonated, you might actually have a chance of tasting the flavour that's apparently in there, and not just the carbonation. It's like eating just the skin of an apple. You know it's apple adjacent, but it doesn't taste of anything. Now, this is just a weird local thing, Steph. Yeah. Uh, so this is like, you know, only you and I are going to give a shit about this, but Philadelphia... Uh, Like some cities across the country has a beverage surcharge tax now for sweetened beverages. What? Oh, yeah. Oh, you didn't know this? Criminal. Oh, don't worry. You're going to have that to look forward to over here as well, Steph. That's that's a thing. You you pay like five pence extra for the the actual sugary Coke. Oh, it's a lot more than that (laughs) here. Yeah. Um, But you, yeah, and you get outside the city limits of Philadelphia and you can see the difference. But what's curious to me is I go to the supermarket and browse the seltzer aisle and LaCroix, specifically only LaCroix, is subject to the beverage surcharge tax. It is not sweetened. I don't understand what the fuck's going on. That's just me being a personal gripe. That's it. I'm going to track down why the Philly surcharge tax is only applying to LaCroix. That's my mission this month. Because I'm fucking confused why I'm paying an additional $2.17 for a 12-pack of carbonated water with no sweetener. Because it tastes a bit better than the other seltzer, and they know it. America's death by a thousand cuts. Oh, it truly is. In economic form. It knows... It knows. And I support the beverage surcharge tax. Do you? I do. Why? Because I buy less soda as a result of it. I mean, you could just buy less soda. I could. <laughs> but if I, if I perceive something as a value, I'm more likely to buy it. I buy less Warhammer figures because of how expensive they are. It doesn't stop Games Workshop being a bunch of dickheads. <laughs> it's fine, but then, you know, the, the tax also goes towards healthcare services for the city. Like, there are benefits associated with it. So I can make a choice about whether or not I'm going to make the purchase. And sales, I don't think, have dropped considerably as a result of this. Well, no, because this is... 
Because this country knows what it's about. Right. Everyone's hooked on the corn syrup now, Conrad. Absolutely. And so now the state can, you know, try and extract some value out of that addiction to go towards, you know, trying to address the problems that it produces. It could be worse. Yeah. Video games, huh? What? Oh, those video games. I've heard of them. What? What are you two talking about? Video games. This is... This is... The Seltzer Podcast. I know it's going to be less relevant to the audience than our conversation about the Philadelphia uh, beverage surcharge tax. <laughs> Look, unfortunately, we're going to have to move on to the uninteresting topic of video <laughs> games eventually, you know. Yeah, yeah. We're going to have to get a little bit more niche with this podcast, I guess, and talk about games. <laughs> How about this? I can start us off on something that's video game adjacent, but we don't have to talk about a video game for a bit. Oh, that's kind of like drinking seltzer in that <laughs> it's almost the thing, but isn't. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, seltzer me up. On brand. I'm pretty certain I may now own the largest plush shiny ditto in the world. Oh, that ditto is fucking amazing. It is enormous. Oh, that ditto is so fucking huge. Um, me and Steph's lovely partner, Phoenix, the short version of this, there was a, there was a video on TikTok with someone with a very big ditto. And I was like, oh, that's a pretty cool ditto, but it is way too, it's like 300 quid. Then that is not money that anyone should spend on a ditto. And Fee was like, Challenge accepted and made a shiny ditto beam. I'm gonna call it a beanbag chair. That does not do it justice. Mm -mm, not at all. Four separate bags of large bags of beanbag filling had to go into it to fill it. Mm -hmm. It's long enough I can use it like a hammock. I can put my head on one of the arms and my legs up on the other one and sort of lie in it like a hammock. I could sleep on this thing if I needed to. It's just a huge, big friend with a with a big old smile on its yeah. face, and it makes me very happy. Looks just like a ditto too. If you'd have told me it was official merch, like I'd have believed you. Yeah, and it's so big. It takes up like my my two seater sofa by itself. Mm -hmm. When you stream with it in the background, it practically is the background. I've had it in the background of streams, and people have gone, "Oh, that doesn't look that big." And then I'll walk across <laughs> the room to the back of the room, and people will go. Oh, I thought it was much closer than it was, so I'm like, nope, look at me not able to get my arms around it. Getting it up my staircase, I had to do the mattress maths of how do I get this round a corner. It's a mate it's, a, it's a good it's a good big friend. It's a good big friend. Mm. And that is my transition into video games, because I'm still doing shiny hunting in Pokemon. <gasps> I've seen you do this shiny hunting. I've been watching you on the live streams. They've been very nice, relaxing streams to have on in my house. Yay! I have very little to say other than that statistics and probability make no fucking sense and do not make sense. So I'm going to tell you the experience I had the day before we record this. I've been trying to catch this one shiny Pokemon, shiny Chingling, for like a week. I can do all my other shiny hunts when I'm not on stream, but the second I'm on stream trying to do this particular one, it just doesn't fucking happen. The chances of me doing the thing I need to do, about 5%. It's like a 1 in 20 chance. That's like a crit on a D20. That's not that bad, right? Cannot make it happen. Yeah, I've been watching this. It seems really frustrating. But here's the thing that's kind of hilarious. In the time it has taken me to try and get something with a 5% chance of probability to happen, I have... Three times now, 
stumbled upon completely unexpected full odds shiny Pokemon, which are one in 4,000 odds each. Fucking hell. I've stumbled upon three different one in 4,000 odds things, but I can't get a one in 20 chance to happen. Absurd. Statistics are fucking wild, and I know, I know that, like, I... I I know that just because I'm uh, I, the the more likely thing doesn't get more likely over time and blah 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 blah. I don't like maths anymore. Because <laughs> here's the thing: if I hadn't got those random shiny Pokemon, I'd have been like, okay, the 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 roulette just doesn't like me. Yeah. But it's like no, the roulette is giving me incredibly rare, unlikely things that are not the thing I'm looking for, and the quite likely thing I'm looking for is like, nah, not that one though. <laughs> It's almost like you're getting the flavour of the shiny Pokemon you want, <laughs> but explicitly not the flavour. Yeah! You're being seltzered. I'm being seltzered. That said, I love my random shiny Badoof I did not want, but I have it now. It's good. It's, it's my little, my little beaver friend. Good, good, but that, that angry little bell with the ribbons on the back of it, it, it just doesn't want to happen. It's been so elusive. It's been, like, second-hand frustrating watching it at times, where I'm just like... Where is it? I'm not even finding it frustrating. I'm finding it hilarious. <laughs> just that it's because here's the thing off stream, I've found 32, 33 different shiny Pokemon so far in this game. It's been great. My shiny luck's been great. It's the second I try and do it on stream, the game's like, I know what you're doing. You want to be cool on the internet. You want to be cool on the internet? No. Unbelievable. As if to taunt me. I made a little tutorial video about how to do this shiny hunting method. Not on stream. I recorded it offline. Very first try. I did it. I got like four shinies of the same Pokemon. Second, I try and do it on stream. Nah. Yeah. It's always the way. Yeah. Like, you'd be getting really good Isaac runs. Then you go on stream. Nah. Get shinies, go on stream, nah. Yeah, and at least with, like, Binding of Isaac, I can blame that on, like, I'm probably doing worse because I'm reading chat, I'm multitasking, sure. there's, you know, but I can't do that here, and that's the thing that's frustrating, is I can't blame this on, like, I, the, the term that I've heard people use that I really like is uh, the stream tax. You've got that little extra bit of brain space being used up, you can usually blame. Yeah, we got that in Philly as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh... But just let me have that that little angry bell. Mm-hmm. It's I want the one with the orange ribbons. Anyway, what have you both been playing? Shingling is lovely. Yeah, it's one of my favourites. It's not Ekans, but I do like Chingling. It's very cute. It's no Ekans, but you know, it's very cute. Yeah, what 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 have you both been playing? I saw a cum tribute of me. Yeah. Yeah. Was it, was it good? <laughs> Pretty even coverage. I mean, what more could you ask for? Yeah. In fairness, I instigated it by talking about it a lot on Boston's Favourite Son and then saying send it to Jonathan Holmes, our co-host there, to uh, check for quality. And then Jonathan said, I've got something to show you. Yeah. <sighs> they were really polite, though. They sent it as a Dropbox link and were like, Jonathan, you don't have to click on this if you don't want to. I, I, I don't know what the boundaries actually are or how serious it was. And then Jonathan was like, check this out. It wasn't me this time. Yeah, what 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 you both been what you both been playing this week? Well, um, I played some more of that Gunfire Reborn. Got Steph to play some of it too. I did play some of it. It was me and Conrad and Casey Explosion. Yes. Yeah. I think both of our first time playing a game with Casey. Although maybe I've played something with Casey before. I can't recall. Yeah, it was definitely the first time I, which surprised me when she said it. But then looking back, yeah, we've that 
we've known each other for many years and, and this is the first time we played a game together, even though we've been on streams together and stuff. Yeah. It's all right. It's all right. Gunfire Reborn's okay. It's the movement speed that gets me. Mm. It's so slow. It does move very... Yeah, I mean, everything in it is, is pretty plodding. I'm not a patient girl, Conrad. Mm -hmm. I can't. Mm -hmm. I can't with the slow movement. Because everything is separated into these little, you know, level zones, but you don't want to pass up on loot and, and shit. You're spending a lot of time running back, you know, through the area again to make sure you didn't miss anything. And because you move mm. slowly, that can drag it out. Um, but it's it's not bad in co-op, which was sort of the last thing I really had interest in trying out. I. I think I've unlocked all the major, all the characters now, um, but I've never played with any but the one you start with because I, I like acid corrosion type damage things and it has that and it works well enough for me. Same, yeah. Yeah. I've gotten to the last boss of the game, but I can't beat it because there's too much going on and, and without a partner to help revive you, you really only get like one revive on a run. And... There's a lot of things towards the tail end that you take one hit and that you're done. So, yeah, it's fun. Um, I like having the option to play something that reminds me of Borderlands without, um, you know, like mechanically, uh, but without the big sprawling open world, something a little more focused um, and also has nothing to do with the people who make Borderlands. It's fine. Yeah. It's a fine game. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. There's some good guns in it, though. I'll give it that. There's some neat stuff. And the the visual design of it, while not my thing necessarily, I have to give it some credit. It's detailed. Like, there's also... if You don't have time to look at any of it is my problem. Like, because you're just constantly under threat that you don't get too much of a chance to really examine these kind of cool enemy designs that they have for everything. Casey pointed out that one of these characters that uh, attacks with a flamethrower, I thought they just had a plain old gas mask on. No, it's like a plague doctor mask, and it's really cool. But I didn't notice it until, you know, I had an opportunity to get really up close to one of these things that you should never get up close to. But yeah, pretty pretty simple, um, but lots of cool guns, and, and the effect stacking works well. You can get to be pretty ridiculously powerful by the end of the run, which always feels nice. But, um, I don't know, I kind of felt like we'd done you dirty, Steph, when we, when, uh, when we played, because... I didn't get along with it. <laughs> yeah, I should have, I, you know, and I meant to warn you, say, hey, you should really, like, invest a few rounds in this before we play it. Yeah, because it wasn't long until I was basically the NPC in an escort mission. Mm -hmm. Like, I couldn't deal damage, and I was down in, like, one or two hits every time. And by the end of it, I was just a mechanical millstone. Is this one of these games where if you jump in in co-op and you haven't played it previously, but other people have, you're under-leveled and the game doesn't account for that? I felt that way. Yeah, yeah, sort of. It's not so much levels as access to functions, right? So you start out with a very, very limited range of weapons available to you, and you get stat buffs that you invest points in between rounds. So if you haven't invested anything into anything, uh, relative to the other players, you're going to be very underpowered. And that's not necessarily a problem. I'm not sure how the, like, damage scaling goes, but... They're a lot meatier. Enemies are a lot meatier in co-op. They sponge 
quite a bit more damage. Yeah. Like, infuriatingly so. But I can't tell how, like, individual, like, skill level, in terms of the, the points that you've put into your talents, how that affects that range, uh, or the balancing. But it felt like, from my perspective, coming in as fresh as Steph did, didn't seem fair. <laughs> Yeah, I can certainly imagine that, like, if they're ramping up the difficulty to account for you dealing more damage, and then Steph doesn't have that additional damage output, it's like, I'm not really killing this thing while it's killing me much faster. In the the last round we did, I did a bit better, but, like, before then, I was not really having that much fun. I was doing, like... To, to even call it scratch damage would be generous. And yet I'd take like one hit to down all my shields and then one more hit to take all my health and that was it. And then the more you die, the briefer the window others have to revive you. So by the end of it, it was like I was unplayable. <sighs> that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't, and I was talking, you know, I'm a, I was saying how I was a, mechanically a millstone and uh, yeah. having to be escorted and Conrad and Casey are like, oh, don't put yourself down. And I'm like, I'm not putting myself down. I'm putting the game down. <laughs> this isn't a self-criticism here. It's the kind of thing where I, I wish that would, and this is, it's going to be very me to compare this to Pokemon. There's a certain area in the post game of, of a lot of the Pokemon games where like, whatever team you bring to a thing, it'll just go, right. All of those ones you brought are evened out to the same level so that the stats are going to be roughly predictable. Like, do do something like that to balance your party members, even if you don't give them the cool new items to go, look, let's, let's try and sort of just fudge your numbers a bit so you can play with everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Laura, are you playing anything else? I played a bunch. I did I did my semi-regular thing of, like, I'm going to play all of the interesting-looking stuff on Game Pass I haven't tried touching yet. Mm. It seems like my jam. I played a little bit of Kill It With Fire. Mm, I've played a bit of that. Yeah, so we talked about this before. Do not play it if you're arachnophobic. Uh, the, the skittering sounds in particular are the... the unset- I, I don't have a fear of spiders, but that skittering sound is... Ugh. It's unsettling. So... I like the concept, I find it fun, my biggest issue is I kind of want to be using like the clipboard to smash stuff. Because like, getting up with melee and hitting stuff is nice and satisfying. That's my favourite approach to killing enemies, yeah. Right. The problem is, it's a first person game, and it doesn't have head bob, but the way that the clipboard bounces back and forth in your field of view causes me the same problem as uncontrollable head bob in first-person games. Huge motion sickness thing for me. I cannot turn that off, and I cannot get an alternate melee weapon that I always have access to that doesn't do that bouncing around. And that is a real shame, because until I started feeling motion sick, I really like getting up in in stuff and smacking it with the book. You know, I'll use like a flamethrower to like, you know, scare the spiders out of a room or something, but I want to be in the doorway going smack, smack, smack as they come out. Neat little game. Probably not one I can stick with, but I can, like, yeah, it seems it seems pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Yeah. What about you both? Have you played anything else? I've played video games. Yeah, what what you played? Yeah. Come closer and I'll tell you. <laughs> I don't know why I decided to suddenly be coy and mischievous about it. It's it's okay. I'm 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 here. Whisper it to me. I've played a game called Dauntless. <gasps> oh, 
tell me about that one. But maybe we stop whispering. Yeah, that's, that's, that was weird. <laughs> um, yeah, I've played a game called Dauntless. It's been out for a couple of years, but it just came to um, current-gen consoles, PS5 and, and Xbox Series X. Uh, it's like free-to-play. It's free-to-play, and it's it could best be summed up as Monster Hunter without the everything. <laughs> okay. It's exactly... it's. It's Monster Hunter Seltzer, basically. You are a character. You can have weapons. There's a number of different weapons, swords, axes, uh, guns, whatever. You drop into maps where monsters spawn and then you run up and you hit them. There's none of the tinkering and, and cool shit. There's none of the like extra stuff to worry about like you get with Monster Hunter. None of the, the different systems and mechanics. It's here are monsters run up and hit them loads and that's it hmm. and you run around these like smallish maps um like mid-sized maps where these monsters keep spawning and other players are there and there's this sort of there's a big mmo sort of quality to it and that as far as i can tell is it it's fine it is an amount of time. I'm getting out of it what I get out of like so many open world so-called AAA games, like where it's like I can't say I'm having fun, mm. but it's this. If I wasn't doing this, I'd be doing nothing. If I wasn't doing this, I'd be looking for something to do. It occupies the brain. It keeps the demons at bay. It's something, which isn't nothing. Ah. It's the alternative to Oblivion. It could sure be more something than it is. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's a fucking free-to-play game. It drowns you in currencies. It's got a battle pass and all of that shit. Daily challenges and shit. Gameplay-wise, it is solid. You know, it's it really is as simple as, like, dodging and attacking. They try and make things, like, the weapons feel a little different. Like, I use a spear that, when you hit, it builds up a meter. And then when the meter's full, you can use that to load a projectile and shoot that. And, and yeah, it's fine. You know, I've been I played played over it this past weekend because um, I was a bit sort of at a loose end this weekend. So I was like, well, fine, this has come out. Let's see if this is good. And it's got an, like an interesting art style. It's sort of um, Monster Hunter by way of Sea of Thieves is the best way I could visually describe it. Like, the character models are very Sea of Thieves, and the monsters, the behemoths, as they call them, are kind of Monster Hunter-ish in general design, if not, um, you know, colour and art style. Uh, so it, it looks very nice. It's very bright, very colourful. Um, you can cut tiles off. And, yeah, it's it, 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 it's got far fewer features than Monster Hunter does, and those it does have are very stripped down. So if you want this free Monster Hunter light for whatever reason, it's a game. It's not bad. It really isn't bad. It's it's very easy streaming fodder because you really can just be completely mentally unengaged when you play it. Yeah. Other than that, you know, I'm not going to rush like recommend anyone sort of rush out and play it, but it's free, and if you are desperate for just some new media to happen at you then you know you can keep you going for an afternoon yeah that's that well what about you Conrad? what you been playing oh i i i got isaac repentance i i bought that mm. yeah 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 so i heard the two of you talking about it yeah yeah and then i remembered hearing something about co-op in it and i thought all right that could probably drag me back and so i got it 
And it's it's more Isaac. Yeah. 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 I, I did a little bit of like I did one or two runs of single player uh to, you know, check out like some of the alternate path stuff. Um the mines are interesting. A lot of the I mean, there's a lot of new interesting additions to it. The you know, discovering the spiked rocks and things like that and the new bosses the new bosses are really hard yes yeah the game overall is tougher especially in the early goings yeah i i actually restarted a new save so that linda and i could co-op it from a a fresh point because she's never played isaac before so she has no context for this stuff and so I thought, okay, well, we'll ease it in so you're not just overwhelmed with this glut of stuff piled on from my old save. And every single boss that we encountered for the first, I think, two or three runs was a new boss. And they are all really hard compared to the difficulty of bosses from Vanilla Isaac, you know, or even just Rebirth when it came out. It sure is designed for people who've played a lot of Isaac and want something new challenging added into Isaac. Yeah, definitely is more that than this is where to start with Isaac. I wish there was a way to pull it back. Yeah. You know? Huh. Like, I, I wish that, and maybe this is something that the modding community has done already and I'm not familiar with it, or it somebody's working on it, and if they're not, please, somebody do. But if we could have just... Isaac versions to access that would I'd be fine with that <laughs> or or you know some some feature turn on turn off toggles because it's it's too much right now to try and bring somebody new in via co-op that's for damn sure there are already some some mods that exist that you can turn on briefly to go can you just make this can you roll it back an expansion or two and then turn them back on to have the stuff back in. I gotta get into that because yeah, it's too much. At a quick Google, that does seem like a thing. What about you, Laura? What else you play? I'm gonna talk about the most interesting thing I played this week that I am really itching to get back into playing. Um, it is certainly not perfect, but it is fascinating, and I'm real hooked. Uh, it's called Mind Scanners. Okay. Oh, that's I've had my eye on that. Yeah, so it's it's available on on Game Pass at the moment, and. Mechanically, it feels a little bit like Papers, Please if it had a few more minigames to interact with. You're set in a dystopia doing a bad job, doing a bad job to try and scrape by enough to survive and trying to not do bad things to good people, but also keep yourself going. Like, at that degree, it's kind of Papers, Please-esque, but, um... It's set in a near-future dystopia. Um, I'm still early enough that I'm trying to understand exactly what's going on, but it seems like uh, there is a walled-off city that is very corporate-owned and a power source that might be causing people mental health issues that the people in power may not wish to admit that that's what's going on, and or it's being used as a smokescreen to, to cover up undesirables. You play as someone whose kid has been kidnapped by a big corporation and is basically trying to get you to work as something called a mind scanner. And what that means is you will be sent to people who are acting erratically and it is your job to work out whether they are a threat or not 
and whether or not to reprogram certain aspects of who they are. Well, that sounds ethically uh, sound. Oh, what one hundred percent? Like it, it is uncomfortable and iffy, and like the the gamer knows that, and very quickly is like, this is a terrible thing you are being put in a situation for. Mm-hmm. I will say more than something like Papers Please. There is a lot more leeway in terms of like. I have not nearly so frequently felt myself like, oh god, I don't have enough money, I need to fuck over a nice person right away. There is a lot more room to have that um, flexibility. So you'll, you'll pick a person to go to and you've got a limited amount of time each day and there are two phases. First one, you do a little interview with them. They'll say something, you try and glean some information about them. If you get answers wrong, it'll take up some of your time. And eventually you'll paint a little picture of what's going on with them. And, you know, some of these will be people who, like, it is very clear that there is something wrong that they need some help with. Someone might be having a psychotic break, they might be having delusions, they might be having paranoia or something, and there might genuinely be something that they need some help with. But because this is set in its sort of big corporate dystopia, you you start getting examples of like, okay, is this person having a paranoid break? Or is that thing really happening? Because that does seem kind of believable given the state of this world. And you are then told to label them officially on government paperwork as totally fine, don't worry about them. Or in need of, in need of, mind treatment Mm -hmm. and this is where you get onto the other half is if you decide yeah i'm gonna get paid i'm gonna do treatment to this person you've got a bunch of different mini games that you're doing to try and fix the various issues some of them are better explained than others you're on a time limit during this whole section and it might be like charge this thing up quickly but not too quickly or it'll cause problems match these icons quickly connect these things to these things. The the level of minigame you'd have in something like a Among Us, you're sort of mechanically simple, but you're doing it under time pressure. Mm-hmm. And while you're doing those, you have a couple of meters to keep an eye on. If you make mistakes in the minigames, the person's stress goes up. And every time you do a minigame, the person loses a little bit of their sense of self. And there are things you can do to keep them from losing themselves, if that's a priority for you. It should be, I think. There's some interesting mechanical stuff I've been really enjoying with how they they handle the minigame section. At any given time, there will be a bunch of icons of, like, this type of treatment is needed for this icon, and you'll see, like, the next five coming up. Let's say you've got five squares next to each other. There's two with circles, there's one with a, a triangle, and two more circles. If you do the circle minigame, it'll get rid of any circles that are next to each other. That'll mean doing the circle minigame once for the circles on the left, once for the ones on the right. Or do the triangle minigame in the middle, all the circles are next to each other now, just do the circle minigame once. Knock them all out in one go. There is a certain degree of like, I'm going to do certain minigames in certain orders to block all of that type of treatment together so I can do it in one minigame and not have to repeat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mechanically it's real... Much like something like Papers, Please, it has that sort of, oh, I'll just play one more day of it, one more day of it, itch. Mm. It's it's real easy to just sort of keep going with. The writing is generally really good. I do not like the game's insist... 
I feel a bit uncomfortable about the game's insistence on, like, your options for marking people are sane or insane, and that is the binary options you have. Uh... And I feel like that is a deliberate choice on the part of telling a story about a controlling force that is talking in absolutes and is, you know, not great. But it's kind it's it's uncomfortable, maybe deliberately so, but it is kind of uncomfortable. But the writing of individual characters is really neat. The minigames are real engaging. The game has enough wiggle room for you to be able to make the right choices for good for people who you think are good and ha- have room to breathe a little bit on that. I'm real intrigued. I played like three hours of it in one sitting just before Pogposition, and I kind of want to go right back into it after we finish. I don't know how it's going to finish, and I don't know if it's going to end up being good, but it's really engaging, and I desperately want to play more of it. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it looked good. Yeah. Visually, it really stood out to me. I would recommend giving it a try. It is not flawless, but it's it sure seems like it has something to say and an interesting way of telling it. Uh, what about what about you both? I played a game called Paradise Lost. Oh, tell us about that. It's a I guess like one of those narrative games, really. What some hmm. might call a walking simulator. It's interesting that they they front loaded it to be as boring and annoying and aggravating as possible. Okay. The character moves really slow and. It's nothing but walking through this bunker, reading bits of paper. Mm. And I spent, I, I don't even know how long it took, but it felt like fucking forever. And then suddenly it gets a bit interesting. And I'm at the, oh, this is a bit interesting stage. But you're basically a, like a 10-year-old boy who is in a Nazi bunker. Huh. And they're looking for their mum, I think. Um, but they're looking for someone certainly who was caring for them. And yeah, you're, you're going through this, this, what starts as just this sort of regular looking bunker. The further you go underground, the more that you see there's this kind of entire city under there. And then the story finally, after really humdrum by the numbers walking simulator shit, once some actual talking happens, then a story starts to form. You find this, um, there's this girl who's in the bunker as well, who you don't see, but is speaking on, um, like, through a, a speaker system, and has asked you to find her to help her because she's stuck. And you start finding out about this maintenance computer that um, was running the bunker, and shit that went on with that. There are these audio recordings of some people that were, like, like post-war people hunting down Nazis and stuff, and the woman in charge is demanding that none of them turn on the Nazi tech, and people arguing as for why they should, and that's about where I'm at. I've got some suspicions about where it's going, but I don't know yet. It looks like it might be going a bit sci-fi. I just can't tell yet. It's a real slog to get through the opening section. Because uh, it just looks so dry and dire. When you say that opening section's a slog, like, are we talking like hours of it not being? It, I, I, it's not hours, not hours and hours. No. Okay, yeah. Like maybe the first hour. Okay. Once story starts happening and you're not just reading notes, I'm intrigued enough to want to carry on. I'm not sold on the game yet. 
but I want to see where it goes because I'd heard some things, you know, I'd heard that it went some places. So I want to see where those places are. And I can certainly see, I'm at a point where this could spin off into something really clever and interesting and surprising, or it could just be a letdown. So I'm I'm at that crossroads mm-hmm. with it right now. Yeah. Just the, the premise interested me. Just this weird, like, underground Nazi bunker where something happened. But yeah, yeah, I, I, I can't really say much more than that. But also, like, almost every game could stand to have movement speed a bit quicker. <laughs> almost every video game ever, even the ones with really good movement speed. I've never been upset when a game has allowed me to move more fast if I would like to. Yes. It's like, I know you want me to take in the scenery, but also, like, I'll be brutally honest, the game isn't, like, visually all that impressive. I don't need to wander around and take in the sights. It's fairly, you know, below average graphics, which isn't so bad. You know, that's not the worst thing in the world. But also the visuals is just, like, brown. You know, it's a bunker. And then later on, it's, like, some old-fashioned building interiors with you know eagles and shit hanging about like i've seen nazi iconography i don't need to drink it in yeah the game could stand to be like 200 percent quicker mm. so yeah that's that what about you comrade you played anything else yeah i played one thing and you played it too that space warlord organ trading simulator is that what it's called yeah space warlord organ trading simulator i started a little bit of this yeah somebody tweeted at me saying that you know they you know it's something that i should be looking at and um i did look at it and it is an assault it's just an assault on on your senses it is a blast it's blast after blast of too much information for me to track if i wanted to do day trading i would be a day trader and disgustingly rich. Here is how I felt about seeing the user interface for this game. Nope. <laughs> it reminded me of a gag scene that comes up for a few seconds in Undertale with, I think it's like dating uh, Papyrus, where you've got all these, like, all of these unnecessary UI things everywhere and it's a lot, and it's a joke for a few seconds. And the worst part is, none of it's unnecessary here. <laughs> but that's the thing, it's like, this is the same thing but i have to take it all in and it's oh it's overwhelming you have to take it all in and you don't know what the importance of most of it is for a, at least yeah. a, and i assume a while because i i'm just confused i can I, I would love for steph to stream this sight unseen yeah for just 10 minutes just 10 minutes it would be amazing to witness why do i feel like i'm in a lab are you running tests on me to see what happens it's menus it's menus the game no i'm already sad now you're being dropped in the deep end but not of a swimming pool it's a swimming pool full of knives There's, it's, it's everything is sharp and angular and Ah. And every five minutes for the next like half hour, you discover, oh shit, this this deep end is a whole lot deeper than I thought because it doesn't waste any yeah. time just throwing more shit on the pile. I watched Jane, your wife Jane, on stream yeah. the other day playing a game. It had three menus on the screen at once. I immediately wanted to run away and play Golden Axe just to hit something. Okay, I'm just going to describe some of a screen here. 
down the bottom of the screen are eight different folder tabs, plus a time. Above that, there is a vitality meter, a meter with a diagram of an organ, a description of an organ, four different images of uh, different creatures up top, a day icon in the top left, uh, a bunch of other icons in the top right, a shop row to scroll between that has like six different things available to purchase. Oh, but this, the, the, that you can see six at a time. There may be as many as 30 in that fucking thing. Yes. Um, and all of those things that you're seeing in that shop menu are just described by like hash a bunch of numbers and letters and dashes and a little picture. It's just insurmountable amounts of stuff. And then every one of the... This is just describing the buying tab. Every one of those eight tabs at the bottom of the screen that I described will take you to a different screen where you'll still have your eight things at the bottom, but the rest of the screen will be taken up with new shit. You, you got the, the requests where there'll be like fucking audio logs going and people on the right hand side and descriptions. It's too much stuff. Yeah, it's it's I'm I'm done. I've tried to play it twice today. I got up this morning, I put the coffee on, I sat down, I said, all right, let's take a look at this fucking trading simulator. I went through, I think, two days of play and said, I don't know what I just did. It doesn't in any way ease you into the mechanics one by one. It just goes, here they are, go. Yeah, it's like, okay, here's another menu with a whole bunch of new shit for you to figure out. Have at that's it. And you get one of these, like, every day for the first four, quote-unquote, days of gameplay. <laughs> it's it's too much. <laughs> ah, Steph, did you play anything else? I don't believe I did. I think that's me good. I've played a couple of other very quick things I can rattle through. Um, I played some lawn mowing simulator. It's exactly what I hoped it would be. Here's a big lawn. Mow it. You have a lawn mowing company, you take a... It, it, it's kind of like um, if you do the career mode of um, Euro Truck Sim, in that, like, you have your equipment, you have to pay for its upkeep, go take jobs, which jobs do you want? But largely, here's a ride-on mower, ride around and, you know, get all the all the grass cut, then get your little strimmer and do the edges and make sure you get it all. It's calming if, like me, you obsessively like perfectly getting everything and cleaning things up and the satisfaction of... I did it, and it's all done, and I got it all. Not going to be a game for most people, but I had a good time with it. It's on Game Pass as well. I'm downloading it now. If you just kind of want to satisfyingly mow a lawn, first proper job I took was for a little old lady who, like, her one thing was, hey, I've got nice flowers by my flower bed. Can you be really careful not to cut my flowers? So when you're using the streamer, you've got to be careful not to go too close to the flower bed. Yeah, I can do that. I'm taking time, go around the edges. It's pretty chill. <laughs> yep, I want to do that. Uh, and the other one I played uh, was a game called Townscaper. It is a game in a very loose sense of the term. You are plonked in an ocean. You can put down buildings of colours you choose. And depending how you position them next to other buildings, it will create like, ah, oh, this building has two floors now where you put it out in the ocean. So it's got a bridge underneath it. It contextually builds a city. There are not really any gameplay mechanics. There is no anything other than this is a tool for making a nice looking thing through context based. Pick a color, click where to put a thing, context happens. I don't object to something like that. 
But what I would say is I would recommend Door for Romantic over this. Because if you want something gameplay-wise, it has a mode in which you can sort of be trying to complete certain objectives and that sort of builds you towards a thing and unlocks you new stuff. And there is like progression and gameplay stuff. But also, even if you're not doing that, if you're just doing creative mode in Dwarf Romantic, there's a lot more stuff than just buildings to lay down. You you have other kinds of tiles. You can have trains in Dwarf Romantic. You can't have them here. It's literally just buildings and how do you put the buildings near buildings. So like, interesting, cute. If you find it interesting, just go play Dwarf Romantic. Yeah, I think that's everything I've played this week. Has anyone else played anything else? Or should we get on to the, the news? Let's do that news. Let's do that news. So we should probably kick off with... Right as we were starting recording the podcast today, um, there was a press conference held outside Activision Blizzard's uh, offices in California by a lawyer called Lisa Bloom, uh, who announced it the day before. Conrad, you have some context for who this is. Well, uh, Lisa Bloom is a pretty well-known sexual discrimination lawyer in the United States. They've had a lot of high-profile cases. They are very... Uh, known for getting attention on cases. Uh, now there's, they're a lawyer, right? Yeah. And I'm I, there's they are not the best person. I am not viewing them as an activist. I don't consider them somebody who is necessarily uh, on the right side of these issues. I view them as a mercenary. I think the way you described it to me it was like, um, I, I was aware that this was the lawyer that like pushed for Bill O'Reilly to be taken off Fox News. Right. But also this is the lawyer that was like advising Weinstein on how to dodge charges. Like, yeah. Th- once the Weinstein story broke, it, it came out that uh, Bloom had been consulting with Weinstein and there's some interesting stuff that's come out really. So I, there, this is not, let's not make this about that lawyer, but the victims at least uh, should be heard. And, and at least in this instance, they are defending a victim. Yeah. So, it was a very short live-streamed press conference, and I will summarize it very quickly. A Blizzard employee named Christine, whose sur- surname has at this time not been announced in order to protect their anonymity, um, has said during this press conference that she was subjected to sexual harassment, propositioned by a manager, and faced retaliation for complaining. The press conference goes on. Uh, Lisa Bloom has specifically called for more... Uh, for more compensation for victims, I believe a victim's fund was demanded, mm-hmm. um, as well as demanding an outside review of Activision by a third party. Now, we haven't seen an, like anything written down as to exactly what is being alleged and exactly what is being demanded, but that is the gist of what we can probably expect in, in the coming days, is yet another person has come forward and it's being used to push hey, maybe we should be in some way, you know... Taking this seriously? Yeah, getting some money to victims and getting some third-party companies in to go, hey, what the fuck are you hiding in here? Activision hasn't done anything. Yeah. Like, in response to any of this this year. Like, they are, at this point, explicitly committing to being an abusive, horrible workplace. Like, at this point... It's policy. Yeah. This is their decision. It's the decision of the board to stand by Bobby. It's the decision of the, of the company structure to stay where it is and not change anything. 
Activision Blizzard right now is deciding to be so bad that this keeps happening. Yeah. And then it engages in in some more layoffs at the same time just to Yeah. just to communicate its contempt. Yeah, should we talk about the the layoffs while we're here because I don't think we talked about those last week. I don't know if they'd happened yet. No. Yeah, so QA staff at Raven were for weeks and months promised that pay rises were coming and then one by one were let go and fired. Some of them told, yeah, you won't have your meeting about whether you're fired or not until after the weekend, having to wait multiple days not knowing if they were going to get fired after being promised for months. Pay rises. Absolutely terrible, shitty, terrible thing. The initial response to that was um, a bunch of Raven QA staff that hadn't been fired did a one-day walkout, and then that became a multiple-day walkout. Beyond that, now other employees from Raven Software outside of the QA team have started walking out. As reported by the Washington Post, over 60 workers uh, walked out on Monday. The protest continues today. As far as it is, it seems like there is no set end date. Beyond that, a better ABK has gotten involved and encouraged as many of their workers from across Activision Blizzard as possible to start to join this multi-day walkout. Some actual organised response happening, which is great to see. And Activision is still, again, because this is now an explicit, deliberate choice, is not doing anything. To, they, they're not even bothering to, like, address these allegations and these criticisms. They're just ploughing ahead, just trying to outmarket it with the fucking Call of Duty bullshit. I mean, I'm looking at a Eurogamer article about these walkouts right now, and there is an advert for Call of Duty Vanguard in the middle of the fucking article. Fuck like, I don't, I don't like blasting other outlets, but like, I'm looking at it right now and going, yeah, the fucking marketing machine works. Mm-hmm. Oh, there was another fucking um, article on Polygon today that was fucking just more promotion for call of duty just here's the latest in the video game haha i won't name names but there's one particular writer that just uncritically fucking like people were like oh why is polygon uncritically talking about the ubisoft nft thing i'm like i wonder who wrote that anyway sorry laura carry on all we have had in the way of statement from activision blizzard regarding these walkouts doesn't address what they're walking out over All they have said in a statement to the Washington Post is, we support their right to express their opinions and concerns in a safe and respectful manner without fear of retaliation. That's it. We're not gonna, we're not gonna fire them for doing a walkout, probably. They're basically just saying, good for them. Good for them walking out. Well done them. We're not gonna do anything, but... If they don't feel safe, that's their prerogative. Fuck's sake. Well, I mean, right now it seems like there is no planned endpoint to this, and more and more people outside of QA and outside of Raven, wider across Activision, are joining in. I really hope that that pressure continues and that that continues to grow, because like a serious multi-staff walkout could make a difference. Yeah, You know, if people got behind it. I mean, it, it, it speaks further to what I've said in the past about how even if they were to get rid of Bobby at this point, like, it wouldn't change what Activision is. I think we're, we're getting to a point where it's, it's actually baffling that he's not been offered up. Yeah. And it just speaks to just how thick he is. Like, like the board are all friends. Like, they're all buddies. 
uh, I think it was a Kotaku article that sort of delved into who those people were. And yeah, they're all fucking pals with each other. Those running Activision, their only concern has been, how do we keep our friend Bobby? Uh, so even if they got rid of him, they're still the people running that company are still the same people who prioritized that over everything and everyone else. Yeah. That rot does not go away. Not easily, it doesn't. <sighs> no, but it is still baffling that they've been just so openly contemptuous. Just open contempt. They don't care. I think seeing how it played out for Ubisoft last year probably gave him some confidence. Well, I mean, yeah, Ubisoft has, has taught the industry a very valuable lesson. Yeah. Valuable to them. That, yeah, most people don't care. Most people will actively join in on harassing those who were already harassed at work to get them off social media so they don't have to feel guilty getting excited over the next call of fucking duty. Yeah. So... <sighs> There's more Activision Blizzard before we move off of them one last bit. More more states across the US are getting involved in, in being like, hey, Activision, you need to fucking sort your shit out. Uh, six US states pressure Activision Blizzard to make sweeping changes. Well, it's it's this is interesting because, uh, see, this is where these financial vehicles that get created can often get tripped up into being regulated in some wild ways yeah because the reason the treasurers of these states are coming after them is because they have things like pension funds tied up in activision blizzard stock yes i was gonna get to that this is not because of what they've actually done but because of fears that it's gonna impact their bottom line and that money that's tied up in shit like pensions is gonna be at risk if they don't get their reputation sorted and stop having shit like this happen but it is it's an interesting means of state control yeah over a a market like this that i kind of find fascinating yeah so the the summary is treasury officials from california massachusetts illinois oregon delaware and nevada have collectively asked to meet with activision blizzard's board to discuss their inadequate response to all of the allegations as described by Eurogamer, in, in the US, state treasuries handle public investments in the stock market, in companies such as Activision Blizzard, where money from state pensions pots might be sat. And as has been pointed out, Activision Blizzard's share price has slumped since the summer when all of this shit wasn't dealt with. And yeah, apparently these treasurers have the ability to potentially vote against the re-election of current board members. They can... they have the power to say no we do not want these people on the board which i didn't know that was a thing that state treasurers could do with private companies well the state the state can do whatever it actually wants to do to private companies that's the thing it's the state they have the guns that's how it works so the state could at any time it chose inflict control this is just a mechanism by which it can be done yeah, but here's, here's a statement that was that was given by the combined group of uh, treasurers. It's the first one I've seen that's actually mentioned the board directors being uh, partially at fault here. We're concerned that the current CEO and board members don't have the skill set nor the conviction to institute these sweeping changes needed to reform their culture, to restore trust with employees and shareholders and their partners. I mean... 
putting aside the fact it's the, it's financial interest that got them there, I agree with that statement. Mm-hmm. The board members do not seem to have the conviction to make the sweeping changes they need to. Neither does Kotick. Oh, they've got conviction. It's just the other way. They've got conviction to not change. Yeah. In fact, I'm not even. I'm not sure I've seen the heads of a company be this committed, like in the face of so much public scorn, in the face of share prices going down, in the face of legal federal pressure, to stand by their man like this. Would that we could all have such a committed relationship. Fucking hell. Uh, So, I'm going to talk about this story as quickly as possible because I don't think there's much we can add to it other than addressing that it happened. Sony has fired PlayStation Network Senior Vice President George Casiopo because he appears to have been caught in a paedophile sting operation. There is no word on if any legal consequences have happened. And there, and there probably won't be because of the means by which this evidence was collected. Yeah, and the short version of that is it seems like an amateur paedophile catching YouTube channel set up their own not-legally-sanctioned sting operation and caught him. They got on Grinder and pretended to be a 15-year-old and arranged a meeting and then filmed the guy outside his house when he showed up for the meeting. Yeah, like, there's other stuff like he seemingly used a fake name on the app and then answered to that fake name on video and that suggests that he knew that he was doing stuff he wasn't supposed to be and it does not look good for him. Sony has jettisoned him. I'm glad that at the very least, uh, potential paedophilia sting is enough to get someone instantly fired. The shirt, though. Wore a PS5 shirt. Oh yeah, he's wearing- he wore his fucking PS5 (laughs) shirt to his- Hey, look, if you don't want to get caught doing that kind of shit, don't wear your company's fucking branding when you're going to do paedophile shit. You used a fake name, you knew you were trying to be- to not get caught- don't wear the fucking company branding. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad you wore it. It makes it harder to deny it's you. But <laughs> fucking hell. So yeah, I don't think we need to say anything more about that. Oh, but, well, I'll, I'll add this. I will add this. Just to address a certain group of gamers on Twitter. No, this is not the reason why Xbox is better than PlayStation. Oh my God. Oh, fuck off. Sort your fucking selves out. There has been so much of that going around. I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is not console war shit, you clowns. All I will say to this is I am glad that this was, that all this story was, is the second it came to light, Sony was like, no, get the fuck out. That's, yes, that's the response. Yep. That should be the response to something like this. Moving on to Ubisoft, because, oh, do you want the most, like, I've never heard more of a, Uh, Oh, yeah, of a headline than this ever. Ubisoft admits handling of misconduct has caused a lack of trust. (gasps) Wow. What? Yeah. Fucking hell. Ubisoft's chief people officer, Anika Grant, did an interview with Axios in which it acknowledged its initial response to the ongoing workplace misconduct scandal was flawed. I would argue... Not just their initial response was flawed, I think all of their response has been flawed. No, we've all been fucking flawed by Ubisoft. Yeah, so we'll, re- we'll read some bloody quotes. Uh, 
at the beginning of the crisis, we spent a lot of time making sure that we had the right processes in place, that we were able to very quickly and efficiently run an investigation and get to some outcomes. What I think we missed, though, is the employee experience through that. I, I don't think we always communicated enough back to the people who had raised an issue in the first place about what we found as part of the investigations, the decisions that we made and the actions that we took, and so I think, unfortunately, a lot of pe uh, people lost trust in that process. Did you do anything, Ubisoft? And did you announce doing anything? Because it seems like you didn't. Yeah, like if... Uh, considering employees are still reporting that nothing has changed at the company... Yeah. Hey, you you want to have more trust and faith in your company from your workers and the people buying your games? Maybe respond to some of the demands by a better Ubisoft, perhaps. Which so far you have done none of. That would be a good start. Uh, so, Ubisoft is saying that fewer complaints are happening within the company and the severity of complaints happening is reducing. Um, their, their quote is, Not only has the volume of cases that are being raised or alerts happening declined enormously, but what we're also seeing is that the severity of the kinds of things that are being reported has decreased. Ubisoft, I'm going to make a random guess as to why that is. People spoke up and nothing changed. Maybe they lost faith in reporting things to you because nothing changes. I'd also like to point to the lack of trust issue again in terms of our ability to believe that coming from them. Yeah. Hey, first of all, people need to trust you in order to tell you the things going wrong. And the last year has not made them trust you enough to tell you. But also, even if it's true and it's for the right reasons... Why should we believe you? You've been bullshitting us for a year now. Done nothing but try to obscure this problem that you knew existed. Mm -hmm. Oh, they also deny a bunch of stuff that, like, very clearly happens. One of a better Ubisoft's demands is to stop promoting and moving known offenders from studio to studio, team to team, with no repercussions. And Ubisoft's response to that is, we don't do that at all. Yeah, they do. <laughs> Yeah, they do. It's been uh, documented. It's done. Yeah. Yes. Their explanation is that they, they sort of sandwich that with, we don't do that at all. Noting that anyone reported for misconduct has been investigated. Yes, investigated. But what was the response to that investigation? Did you, as a result of that investigation, promote or move them from studio to studio? Mm -hmm. like, if you accuse someone of doing something and they say... I didn't do that. I looked into it and I definitely didn't. Are we men to take that as a fair enough? Yeah. I didn't set fire to your car. I looked in my garage and there's no gas in there at all. How could I have set fire to your car? I've got no gasoline. Only these empty gas cans. <sighs> so some Ubisoft workers, um, this is one of the things that a better Ubisoft has talked about, is... A silencing effect that has, you know, happened since the allegations happened at the company. Again, a better Ubisoft is basically implying, hey, since nothing changed a year ago, people are afraid to speak up now. Um, Ubisoft's response to that is, Ubisoft doesn't have any policy that prevents team members from sharing their workplace experiences publicly. We don't have a policy that you can't speak up. So we can't be silencing you. We don't have a policy. That's such an obvious, well-worn, corpo-like bit of bullshit. That's more or less a confirmation. Just saying, we don't officially punish people. 
Like, you might as well have just said you do punish people. So I bet Ubisoft has responded to this Axios interview. Um, Here is their response. Ubisoft's top management has very clearly communicated through its actions that they're adamant on keeping full control over the decisions concerning safety policy and reports, and about running the new processes as a black box. This black box nature is breeding grounds for abuse. The single points of failure spread across the processes makes them prone to failure and ineffectiveness. We will keep our demands until they are met. Hell yeah, good for them. Fuck Ubisoft. Fuck them. Fuck them. Fuck fuck them. Fucking scum. Fucking Ubisoft. I mean, you know, I guess similarly with, with Activision, like, it's not just the fact that there's no pressure from within the gaming community and media that ultimately just cares more about products and people. It's, I think we discussed this previously, mainstream media has not cared. Yeah. No one cares and they know it. I do wonder if, um, what was that fucking lawyer we talked about today that did her press conference? Um, Lisa Bloom. Lisa Bloom, from what I can tell, does seem to be big on making things a big public deal. And I do wonder, if nothing else, whether her involvement will finally tip this over into some kind of mainstream coverage. Let this whole situation put pay to the ridiculous fucking argument that corporations do the right thing because it's the right thing, that we don't need regulation because they will come around. You don't get corporations to do anything even halfway decent without forcing them. Yeah. Companies do not do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. They do it only when the pressure becomes unavoidable. Activision and Ubisoft are showcasing almost exquisitely what a corporation does when it feels no pressure to change. Yeah. It will just keep perpetuating harm. And worse than that, will explicitly commit to perpetuating that harm. Because what they're doing now takes effort. It takes effort to keep this bad press going. It takes effort to keep fighting to defend your right to keep Bobby Kotick. It takes effort to weather the stock drops that Activision has been having. Yeah. So let's talk about fucking NFTs because we're on Ubisoft as a story. Ubisoft has announced energy-efficient NFT platform for AAA games. Ubisoft has announced Quartz, its own NFT platform for unique items in AAA games, which it says will run on energy-efficient technology that uses a million times less energy than a Bitcoin transaction. It's going to be starting with Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon Breakpoint. These things are going to be called digits, and they're going to be in-game cosmetics where like, there'll be a number or a code stamped somewhere on your outfit. Ooh. And you can then like sell your outfit with its its serial code on it to someone else and track who owned oh, wow. it before you and Wow, Ubersoft. I don't fucking care. You veritable host of sexual abusers, you. I don't fucking care. Okay, now, setting aside our personal feelings about this, you know, in terms of uh, their lack of response to their internal issues and the production of, of this, you know, comparatively speaking, my question is, is this something the audience is gonna care about? Like, is this something that, like, seems like a good buy-in for somebody? 
Well, you've got to put like what, like six hundred hours in to get like both these items or something. You've already got to be neck deep in these awful fucking games to take part in what is a scam. I don't care how energy efficient you've made this one. They're all still a fucking scam. Yeah, so th these are a thing that you're going to be earning through play, and while you play, it generates the fucking... It, it, it does whatever the fucking transaction is, and... <laughs> it's all stuff that could be done without being an NFT and shit. That's the like like all of this crypto shit. None of it needs to be this. Well, of course. It's just embracing the latest scam. I guess what I'm getting at with this though is that if the adoption rate is low, if it doesn't catch on within the larger Ubisoft audience, I think then the only real support is going to be from the crypto bro set. I don't know if they're going to spend the 600 hours necessary to get this shit or not. But if it's a big failure, that's the best thing we could hope for. Yeah. A big public failure of one of these NFT systems might dissuade other people from continuing to pursue it. Yeah. But that's the only upside. I, that's the silver lining I can see is that they haven't created anything that I perceive as compelling. Maybe I'm wrong. You know, I could not be that in tune with the buying audience of a Ghost Recon game because I am not, very clearly. But this just doesn't strike me as uh, the killer app for NFTs. Yeah. So I do want to talk a little bit about their claim that this is less energy consuming than, you know, like a, a Bitcoin. It is. But that's because it's not blockchain in the same sense as we think of it. And I think that there is something to be said about, like, I, at the very least, I feel like it's important to note that there is a difference about what this is. I'm going to try and keep the fucking blockchain chat as light as I can here. Most blockchain stuff right now that is burning the planet up is every time you want to do it, someone wants to do a transaction... You've got to fucking check every single person in the world who has a copy of the fucking ledger and check they all match. And it's millions of computers are doing bits of work. And that is why it is such a ridiculous power usage. This does not do that. It does not have everyone having a copy of the ledger to verify things. Instead, it works on a system of the people running the cryptocurrency have like will give people financial incentives if they catch people doing bad things, or take away people's money if they're caught doing bad things. It's not the same thing. It uses a different approach to proving uh, the legitimacy of a transaction, essentially. It's relying on the community to catch issues with transactions and report them so that they can be fixed. It's relying on people having a financial stake in catching bad faith actors. Right, well, and that's why they call it proof of stake rather than proof of work, as the original concept goes, yeah. Yeah, so, like, they are correct that it is a lot less environmentally energy-wise damaging, but that is not because they found a way to make blockchain verification good, it's because they're doing a very different thing 
that has its own pros and cons. And I feel like that's worth at least addressing. Yeah, this is not the same level of security and uh and and democratized control yeah it, it's also like for the people who love this shit being decentralized this isn't decentralized there are centralized people who have the ledger and you tell them if something went wrong it's not the same thing and in some circumstances some applications this will be preferable and and maybe even functional and useful. That's the it's the same thing I keep coming back to with all of this blockchain stuff. Yeah. There is somewhere in it things that are useful. I will say this. Between the two, this one does seem to burn the planet less. I'm not saying it's good. No, it's not good. It's bad. It's very bad. Yeah. It still burns the planet, but if you're gonna burn the planet, please burn it less, I guess. Well, here's here's the flip end of that though. Because, um, like, for example, Bitcoin has a hard limit on how many transactions can be performed simultaneously. Mm. And other cryptocurrency systems have accounted for that. And so as we look at, oh, this costs less energy per transaction. But as we introduce more and more people into this marketplace, we introduce a higher volume of transactions. So ultimately, this doesn't solve our problem. This is deck chairs on the Titanic. Yeah. It's going to be people going, this uses less power, so I don't have to feel guilty about doing it, therefore I'll do it a lot. Oh no, I we're back at the same problem. I want to see this fail, because I don't, I, I don't want this to be the future of video games. It's going to be. I don't want my cosmetic skin to have to have a serial number on the fucking back of it, and I know that it was owned by fucking Joe Blogs before me, and like, oh, oh. The video um, game industry took microtransactions. And found a way to make them worse. What if I buy a fucking skin in a game and then like, oh, it turns out that like the person who owned it before me, ah, uh, they got they got done for murder or something. Uh, oh, I've got m my weird mur murderer's skin. That's weird. I don't like that. I don't need to know who fucking owned shit before me. What is... What are we doing as a species? Why? We're burning the planet down in late-stage capitalism. Why did we glom onto this shit? This pointless, stupid shit? Yeah. It's so ridiculous. It's an actual farce. I have a nicer thing. I have a positive thing. UK voice acting studio reaches agreement with Equity to safeguard voice actors working in games. A leading voice acting studio, OMUK, has made an agreement with a trade union for performing arts and entertainment workers to support voice actors working in the games industry. It sets up minimum fees and conditions of engagement for voice actors, and it actually sets up some standards for video game voice acting, which has been a much-needed thing for a very long time. Yep, that's great news. Yep. This is the studio that was involved in stuff like um, Horizons Zero Dawn, Demon Souls, the Telltale Game of Thrones stuff, has some actual standards it's going to enforce. And that's great. I hope that this snowballs, because more unions for, for voice actors in video games would be great. It's sorely lacking. Yeah, I'm having a look at the stuff that they've, they've managed to agree they have a commitment to provide voice actors with specific information ahead of the, the audition uh, about things like potentially sensitive content they might have to read uh, before they sign their contract. So they, they're not locked into a contract they then later don't want to act. They should be told if the script and their character contains profanities, accents required, details on the project, the publisher, the developer, the budget, the classification 
the hours of recording expected, things that were not required to tell them previously. They've got to tell them about potential vocal stress, mandated breaks to let their voice recover. There are different minimum fees required for, like, games of a certain budget size, indie games, smaller than that. Like, the, based on the budget of the game, you have to pay at least this much per hour. Overtime, late fees, overdue payment fees, making sure that voice actors are always included in game credits. It's a really good list of stuff they've managed to lock down. Good. I really hope it catches on. Yeah. Yeah. That's really nothing I can add. It's just, it's good to see people get the benefits they deserve. Isn't it a shame when we own, we never have anything to add when the news is good? Yeah. <laughs> it's just a, it's just what we want. <laughs> yeah. I all, all I have to say is, this happened. It's good. Game industry, do it. I don't need to say anything else. You got it right, it looks like. Yep. No notes. Yeah. A couple of very quick stories before we wrap up. By the time you hear this, Halo Infinite's uh, single-player campaign will be playable. Fun fact, it's currently 6pm on release day uh, here in the UK, uh, or half six in the evening. If you went to a shop, if I went to a shop this morning, let's say eight hours ago, and bought a disc copy of Halo Infinite, the, the, the single-player campaign game on disc, it would not have been playable for the first eight, nine hours that I had purchased it. Yeah. And even longer beyond that, the disc version of the game did not let you play the game because it had not unlocked digitally yet, but was physically on sale. It requires a download that wasn't available until like nine hours later that you cannot preload. So you can't even at 6pm UK jump in and start playing your disc. You have to start downloading your 30 gig patch then. Yeah. Just amazing. I miss when you could just buy a video game on release day on a disc and put the disc in and play it. It's just not happening. It's just, those, yeah, those days are officially fucking dead. It's interesting to, like, knowingly, deliberately scam your audience, knowing it's okay because the scam's only going to last for a couple hours. It's interesting, because that's, you literally bought something that you weren't told wouldn't work. You were conned by any fucking measure of the term. Yeah. But it's apparently okay because you've just got to wait, like, wait half a day and then it won't be a scam. The things the game industry are allowed to get away with, it's... There is no world in which someone should pick up a, a release day disc copy of a game and go, I should assume I won't be able to play this for nine hours plus download time, I should assume. We're at a point where you should assume that you can't play the game you bought. It's safer to just assume that. Until confirmed otherwise, you don't get access to what you bought. Yeah. Also, last little bit of story. I'm bookending with Pokemon. You know how I, I talked, I think, last week about how Pokemon Shining Pearl speedruns were down to like half an hour because that game's so broken? They're down to 15 minutes. Aha! Uh -huh. You can play the entire game in 15 minutes. Lovely. That's my that's my ideal Pokemon experience. Yeah, so it's been discovered that, like, there's a combination of glitches where basically you can run around the world with none of the scripted encounters interacting with you, and then an NPC pushes you out of bounds, and you just run to the end. That's the whole video game. Terrific. Yeah. Outstanding. 
Look, this game is not unplayable in any kind of way that's going to like cause serious problems for the average person. Oh yeah, it's it's fine, and speedrunny things are no actual indicator that a game is bad, but I, I still love to see it. What I will say I think is kind of hilarious about how th- some of the ways this game is broken is some of them are ways that Pokemon games have been broken in the past that they forgot to check for here. Back in the original Generation 1 games, there was a famous glitch you could do that involved uh, teleporting away at the same time as you walked, like started a trainer battle. Basically, trainer battles at the same time as something else break Pokemon games. So you'd think, like, 30 years later, they'd have gone, okay, what spaces can uh, an enemy trainer start a fight with you? Can you be doing something else on that space? Let's make sure you can't. They didn't do that here. There's a trainer that can start a fight with you while you're trying to surf, and then you can surf on land and go to endgame content that the game won't literally won't let you go to any other way right now. You can just sort of surf over land and go fight some legendaries that they won't let you fight yet. Huh. I love this broken piece of shit. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's everything for this week. It seems like everything. I think that's all the things. Bumper cropper nonsense and discussions and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but for some people, Laura, you know what? The harvest is just not going to be of high enough yield. <gasps> they need more. Oh. They need more. Oh, more. Their scythes are thirsty for more corn. Oh, well, if their scythes are thirsty for more corn, they can find it at Laura K. Buzz on all the social media places. Go to Laura K. Buzz wherever you go. Patreon's the one that pays the bills regularly. The thing that I'm pushing at the moment, hey, I've got a book coming out. It's called Who Hunts the Whale? It's about the video game industry. It's funny, but also it's a bit anti-capitalist and anti-corporate. Not a bit, a lot. Go order a copy. Go check out Unbound. Unbound.com forward slash books forward slash whale. Go order a copy. Then it can come out and people can read it. It's a good book. We finished writing the first draft. I'm real proud of it. Go go get that video game thing. Conrad, what do you do? Oh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Conrad Zimmerman. You can buy anti-capitalist propaganda from me at pinfultruth.com or audiobooks at conradreads.com. You can also listen to me on Let's Talk About Snacks with Lauren Morgan and Linda Camiolo or on uh, Boston's Favorite Son if we ever record another episode. Uh, and everything I do online gets supported through Patreon, patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? <gasps> oh, I can guess. You can. James Stephanie Sterling. I was right. We better do that, Boston's Favorite Son. Mm-hmm. I've got two hours more material on the contribute. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Jimquisition. That is what you can go on if you want. Uh, Twitch TV slash Jim Sterling. I do Twitch streams. I've been doing quite a few lately. I've been trying to keep up more. Yeah. Um, so you can go there. And also, this will be the last time I plug this particular show. Rise fifth anniversary show, December 11th at the Uniontown Mall in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. December 11th, bell time, 7.30 p.m. If you can get there, Get there. I am facing Rise's owner, Brandon Kay, for full control of Rise Wrestling in an I Quit match. I mean, I, I, if, if I could be there, I would. It's going to be a hell of a show. I have been working out what weaponry to bring. I've heard about some weaponry that I'm excited. You should be excited. Go see this weaponry in person if you can. I, if you can. Um, but, you know... This time next week, on the next podquisition, I will come to you as Executive Commander Sterling, owner of Rise Wrestling. And until then, I hope you all have a lovely week, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.